Barclay and Barton on the Premier League, brought to you in association with Pitch Publishing, the UK's leading independent sportsbook publisher. Also in association with the Sports Freelance Collective, with Walk Wag Play, a dog walking and training company in Cardiff, doing right by your dog. Follow on social media at Walk Wag Play, and also Tony Park Consulting. Helping you and your business grow. Tony Park Consulting at gmail.com. This is Barkley and Barton on the Premier League. It is the dawning of a new era. We are today going to be looking back at the 2004 2005 Premier League season. I'm Wayne Barton, football writer and author, and I'm joined as always by Paddy Barclay, football writer and author. The only time I can put us on parity. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> yeah, well, what a lofty introduction. Um, of course... Well, um, at least you still write books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'd like to read another one of yours, Paddy. I'm sure that you've got uh, some yeah, ideas. I'm, just, I'm actually just waiting for a subject, yeah. That's Brilliant. Um, well, I'm sure it'll be fascinating. And, and what a good subject to start on, because we are oh. going to one of your disciples um, yeah. to kick off this show with. Of course, Chelsea are a year into their new ownership and they'd already been progressing at something of a, a fairly rapid pace. A bit. The summer yeah. of 2004 really changed everything. Um, Jose Mourinho arrives at Chelsea, describes himself as a special one. Mm. Obviously, Paddy, one of the reasons I enjoy this series so much is because it's great to talk about the great game with one of its, mm. and sorry to blow a little bit of smoke here. Don't get too mm. embarrassed, but with one You're of free. its, <laughs> one of you the one of the foremost authorities in the football writing community. But you hold a particular interest in and specialist subject in in mm. Jose Mourinho, having yeah. written a book on him. Um, yeah. You'd obviously followed his career somewhat before his um, yes. arrival in England. So, what did you make of those first few weeks? And you know, obviously, the press conference itself was yes. in in terms of major events in British football. <laughs> it was, it was, it really was. Everything he did at that time, uh, well, f- first of all, he had a Midas touch, as you say. I'd, I'd followed his career at uh, at at, um, at at Porto, and in, I'd been at the uh, UEFA Cup final uh, mm. a year before that, just about fifteen months before that, where they'd beaten Celtic, and uh, so you know, I knew that this this was a, a, a serious. Uh, well, the best, most exciting young manager in the world, probably, um, certainly in Europe. So, and I also knew that he was a character. Um, I thought he was just a bit of a bad boy, but when he came, it was obvious that he was good with his good with words. Um, the special one, the the special one, uh, is is a bit of a misquote, and and I'm you you quoted it correctly. A special one. I'm not out of a bottle. That's what he said. You know, I'm not a a, a product. You know, I'm I'm not you know just another product, another manager from Central Casting. I, I'm 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 a bit different. You know, I'm I'm pretty good. Is what he was uh, what he was saying. But it, it was all sorts of uh, everything he said was was fascinating. I remember even before he just before he came to Chelsea, after the Champions League final, Porto against Monaco. Uh, his phone had rung uh, during the press conference, and it was his wife. You know, so he just had this stage presence um, that everything he said you lent upon. And I remember in the research for the book, um, 
which I'd already sort of half agreed, uh, decided to write. Um, I met the great Desmond Morris, you know, the, the author of The Naked Ape and The Football Tribe and, and, and great books about sort of anthropological books about human behavior. Yeah. And um, I mean, he was, he was a massive fan of, of, of Mourinho. And, and the, a point he made was that he doesn't talk in cliches. He might invent cliches, like the special yeah. one, but he doesn't talk in cliches. And, and consequently, he had you on the edge of your seats. It was a very, very exciting um, uh, phenomenon, especially as what he was trying to blow out of the water or knock off a perch, to, to borrow a phrase from uh, the man I'm talking about, Sir Alex Ferguson. It's, you know, he was, he was, you know, up against... The greatest, you know, the the the, the serial winner, the uh, a guy who, who it really mattered to beat, and uh, that made it all the more exciting. This this new kid on on the block, and uh, yeah, he, he he just grabbed our attention right from the start. He did say something quite. He said, "I mean, he didn't take any prisoners." I remember once he was asked early on, "Are you going to bring?" This was before. It was before the preseason. He was asked when he when he said this special one, and he he was asked, "Are you going to bring loads of players from Porto? Because obviously they'd made their name by becoming European champions, the likes of Ricardo Carvalho, Paulo Ferreira, um, and so on." And 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 uh, he said, "Oh no, no." He says, um, uh, "Buying players that you're familiar with. I, I know that Louis Van Gaal did that at Barcelona when he brought in all the Dutchmen." <laughs> But he says that's a sign of weakness. He says it's, <laughs> it's like going on holiday with your parents <laughs> when you're a teenager, you know, instead of striking out on a more adventurous route. Anyway, it was. Uh, I thought, whoa, come on, hang on a second. Louis Van Gaal, you know, taught you management. You know, he was good to you. And uh, anyway, sure enough, he, he was just talking a load of tripe because he, he bought Ricardo Galvalho, <laughs> Paulo Ferreira, Tiago from, okay, not from Porto, but from... Uh, from there, he bought a, a goalie whose name I've forgotten. Ilario, was it? Yeah. Uh, from Portugal. And one other player who didn't really make it big. So, I mean, he bought, he bought more players from familiar ground. He went on holiday with his parents. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, <laughs> he still came. He had these these interesting original theories and put them beautifully. You know, like, like going on holiday with your parents. That, I just thought it, it made the point. So well, even if even if uh, he didn't follow his own advice, uh, yeah, it was it was a very very exciting uh, arrival on the scene. And uh, as fate would have it, um, the league campaign began. It sent uh, Mourinho. Uh, it brought Mourinho a lovely present, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and Man United at Stamford Bridge. Incredible. Yeah, that's one of the funny quirks of the uh, fixture computer, which I'm Absolutely. never um, too sure about the sincerity of of that machine. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. It definitely displayed a, 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 a sense of theatre there, and it's funny actually how uh, how, it, how Mourinho was asked once what what he remembered about that game, and he said straight away he didn't say the goal. Um, he said, um, uh, being able to walk to the match, he'd got a flat in Chelsea and he walked, 
you know, with the yeah. early uh, punters uh, through the through the through the streets uh, to Stamford Bridge. And he said that was that just sort of told me a little bit about what life in London was going to be like. It it was going to be uh, although it's a big city, it was going to be a bit more relaxed and enjoyable than the goldfish bowl that that uh, Portuguese football had been. Yeah, obviously we're going to concentrate a lot about Chelsea in the coming moments and mm. in particular wielding their financial power. But on the subject of the league and its financial power, mm. Paddy, um, yeah. another team we'll talk about a little later on for, for yeah. obvious reasons is going to be Liverpool. But yeah. they um, brought in one of the world's top managers as well. Yes, exactly. Well, if you looked around... Um, Europe at that time, you see two outstanding managers. You've got Mourinho, who just won the Champions League, the Portuguese League, the previous year, the UEFA Cup and the Portuguese League. And the other uh, top top man was Rafael Benitez. He just won the league, the Spanish League, with Valencia. And also the UEFA Cup, beating, um, beating Marseille in the final. So these were the two, and English, the English pound went out, and or the Russian ruble, if you like, uh, uh, went out and plucked them. Uh, you know, so in other words, the creme de la creme was coming to England. Now it wasn't sort of uh, getting, uh, you know, Middlesbrough buying a slightly past his sell-by date Brazilian or something like that. It was. Uh, I, I was talking about Branco, by the way, not Janinho. But uh, <laughs> if, if you. It, 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 we were, the English football was really buying from the top shelf, uh, and, and the Chelsea team kind of reflected uh, reflected that um, with the best holding midfield player. And you'll, you'll argue about Roy Keane, I know, but uh, the, for me, it, it, the mid central uh, the holding midfield was known as the Mekaleli position. Yeah, you know, like the Cruyff turn, and it, it, it was. He made that position, he trademarked that position, Claude Makaleli. I thought he was a fantastic player. Uh, and, and certainly Real Madrid never re- took years to recover from selling him. Um, Arjen Robin, both Man United and, uh, and Chelsea. Ferguson really spotted him, uh, Arjen Robin. But, uh, you know, he goes, he goes to Chelsea, not, not, not actually at the beginning of the season. But uh, Carvalho, who later emerged as 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 he, he was perhaps a little underrated until he went to Chelsea, but he then became one of the best centre half. Well, certainly, but one of the best centre half partnerships. Yeah, it was Carvalho and Terry absolutely fantastic partnership? One of the best, uh, definitely, if not the best ever to be seen in the Premier League. Certainly, one of them. Um, so. You know, these two managers, Mourinho to, to Chelsea, Benitez, you know, it was just, that was the Premier League just taking its pick of the best talent in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And the, one of the things that was um, a feature of that year was Greece winning the European Championships. And yeah. I believe, if my memory is right, Paddy, because and we'll talk about Benitez's style of football mm. a little later, but... Mourinho was certainly, um, he was coming with the reputation of, um, he, he would very much play this style of football, which would, um, not, not we, weren't, we weren't perceiving it as negative at the time, it was more like he's going to strangle football, and he's yeah. going to he's gonna win games um, just in a way that we haven't seen before, and that was aided in some, in some respects by the finance, but 
hugely yeah. influenced by his tactics. Um, yes, it was. I, I've always felt that's a little unfair. Um, and, uh, you know, after all, he did bring an extra forward, 4-3-3, yeah. um, that season. That's when it uh, really became a, a fashionable, almost the, the basic, almost the sort of default system in English football. Yeah. Um, and uh, two wide men. Uh, they, they would be Duff and um, either uh, Joe Cole or, or later in the season, Robin, Ian Robin. I mean, can't complain about a lack of excitement from, from those two, and nor mm. uh, with the, the, you know, the st- such strikers as Didier Drogba and uh, Ida Gudjonsson, who, who for me is the most underrated player ever played, pulled on a yeah. Chelsea shirt, um, even though he is rated, but I, <laughs> He's still great. He's yeah. still... I, I love him. Uh, but anyway, that, um, that, that was it. But you, you're quite right. To the, in the beginning, Chelsea managed after nine games. And just to back up what you're saying about the early fears about what he would, Mourinho's style would do to the English football... Um, after nine games, he was second in, Chelsea was second in the league... They'd only scored eight goals in nine games. And that had culminated in a 1-0 loss at Man City. Do you remember that? Yeah. It turned out to be the only defeat they suffered in the league all season. And um, Anelka was, was brought down and, uh, and converted the penalty uh, for, for Kevin Keegan's Man City. So that was, um, you know, eight goals in nine games. You know, second in the league. But it, it, as the bubble burst, well... In the next nine games in the league, yeah, and the, believe you me, the, uh, Mourinho and Chelsea had heard that criticism. In the next nine games, instead of scoring eight goals, they scored twenty-nine mm-hmm. in the next nine games, and that included quartets, four goals against Blackburn, West Bromwich, Fulham, Charlton, Newcastle, and Norwich. They during that uh, run. Uh, they took the leadership in early November and, and they went over to lose it. So, um, and an additional thing, I, additional thing I'd like to say statistically is that their av- I always love to measure teams by their average score. Now, it's not scientific. Uh, it's, in other words, to multiply the, the number of goals scored by the number of goals conceded. It's very rare to reach 3-1 as an average as an average advantage. Yeah. It's very rare. Uh, most uh, the best Man United teams did just over 2-1. Yeah. Um, Liverpool got a 5-1 in the late 70s because the defense was so good. The Preston Invincibles 100 and how many <laughs> years ago. They had they had an almost 4-5-1. This Chelsea team was a fraction under 5-1. Mm. 73 goals scored, 15 conceded, 15 goals conceded. I mean, that kind of margin of uh, superiority over all comers is very, very rare. It, it will have been done fewer than 10 times in the history of the game. So I think that Chelsea team deserves to be rated among the great champions, even though they, as you say, they didn't score a lot in the, in the 72 in the league, 
Uh, sorry, I said 73 earlier on. It was 72, I think. I, I mean, Arsenal got 87 that, that yeah. season in the league. Um, but in all competitions that year, Chelsea scored 108. Yeah. Uh, including uh, three at Wembley for the League Cup final, the Carling Cup final against, um, against Liverpool. So, you know... I think Chelsea were that Chelsea team was a great side, and uh, I, I think you know the the very uh, the very reasonable uh, criticism that they weren't flamboyant goal scorers in the in, throughout the whole of the league campaign is true. I think uh, there's more to the story than that, and and I remember it was almost as if Mourinho had said, "Oh, oh, you want goals, dear? I'll give you bloody goals." <laughs> 29 in nine games. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. So, um, and you might say, yeah, Blackburn, West Brom, Fulham, Charlton, Newcastle, Norwich, but Newcastle finished in the top half. Charlton were mid-table. Mid Fulham were just below mid-table. You know, uh, Blackburn Rovers had won, you know, the league less than a decade earlier. So, they, you know, they weren't mugs, those teams. And... Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Chelsea did in mid-season entertain. It might also be said of this Chelsea team that it, it also ought to be said of this Chelsea team that they knocked um, Bayern Munich out of the uh, Champions League. They knocked Barcelona out of the Champions League. Although that was that was a, a pretty dodgy win, in my opinion. I'll tell you why if you want me to tell you, but. Uh, yeah, um, and and they only went out on a disputed goal at uh, at Anfield in one of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced in my whole life. Um, so you can't tease us like that and not tell us the Barcelona story. Yeah, it was what happened was that Chelsea went storming into a, a three-goal lead. I'm just trying to, to jot down the sequence of goal scoring, but <laughs> excuse me. Um, but uh, yeah, um, good Johnson, my my my, my mate. Um, uh, Rob uh, after Lampard had robbed Xavi. <laughs> How many times did Xavi give the ball away? <laughs> it's uh, definitely a career. That, mark. It might have been the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might it might well have been. He slipped actually, Stephen Gerrard style. Everybody slips against Chelsea. What is it? Did they put grease on the pitch or something? I don't know. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, Chelsea racing a, a three-goal lead. Uh, Ronaldinho gets a penalty. And then Ronaldinho scores one of the greatest goals I've ever seen. Yeah. Do you remember it? Yeah. Just outside the box. He's, you know, he's sort of doing a sort of black bottom, wiggling his legs to just move a defender out of the way. And then he just hoiks it with no back lift. And it flashes across check into the into the corner of the net absolutely unstoppable i was there at the time and the first sound you heard was just jaws dropping yeah uh, wonderful goal anyway that's three two barcelona would have gone through on away goals but uh, towards the end and this is where the naughty side this is what Mourinho's bringing into the game as well as very mean defending um a Set bibs, either a free kick or a corner comes in. Terry, he's right at the back of the box. He heads it into the goal mouth. I didn't even think he was trying to score, but it did go into the net because 
Uh, Ricardo Carvalho artfully tugged uh, Victor Valdez's shirt to prevent him from what, making what should have been a routine save. So uh, the goal was given. I, I may be wrong, but I think Colina might have been the ref. But he anyway, was. He was. Yeah. The goal was. The goal was given. It, uh, it should. Uh, I mean, in um, what you call it, um, VAR. Of course, it would. Uh, Barcelona would have gone through. But it was still a great, great performance by Chelsea, and uh, um, and and, uh, and and they, you know, they proved it was no fluke by beating Bayern Munich in the in the semi-finals. And Frank Lampard scored two goals, including, in my opinion, the best he ever scored. Um, uh, I think it was a chest, half turn, thigh, complete the turn half volley oh what a goal and um, yeah so they proved it was uh, it was no uh, fluke in uh, sorry that was a quarterfinals before going and 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 losing what was a very very tight game yeah. um, to the eventual champions Liverpool at Anfield yeah. <clears throat> Luis Garcia do you remember the ghost goal the ghost goal yeah they did the anniversary of that the other I think 15 yeah. year anniversary of that was the other day so yeah I think I think it, to be fair uh, Chelsea didn't have a real point there because um, the point is that Czech had cleaned out Garcia, uh, which is why he didn't get a proper kick on it. And uh, no, he's cleaned out Milan Baros. That's right. And uh, and um, so you know Chelsea had the choice: uh, no goal by Garcia and down to ten men with your goalie off um, for for eighty six minutes. Or a goal. I mean, which would you prefer? I don't know. It's uh, it, the plain fact is Liverpool won, and as I say, oh the atmosphere, the atmosphere that night. I can still remember it. Yeah. Goosebump territory. Liverpool um, and their subsequent success is going to be something that comes up a little later in the okay. show. Just to finish on Chelsea, um, obviously um, Chelsea spend at uh, the start of the season was somewhere around ninety-five million. But it was a turnover of the squad, which was yeah. really more impressive than. Well, it made yeah. the success more impressive than it had any right to be because I'm that's, just read the. That's what happens if you get money? You can you can <laughs> pay them to pay them to get out the door. Exactly, and I think that they did that with some of this lot. I'm going to read the list yeah. here, Paddy, and I know that you've yeah. already seen the list, uh, the the figure, but I think it will be astounding for listeners. Yeah. Um, Winston Bogarder, my favourite guy. Who made... oh, a lovely player, lovely man. We saw lots of him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't know if I, I mean they might, might as well have signed Dirk Bogard for all they <laughs> saw him. Yeah, they may uh, well have done. Humphrey Bogard. I mean, it, it was uh, it, it, he, of course. For, for younger listeners, the the point about him was that he was on thirty five grand a week. And uh, it was obvious that, that he wasn't going to get in the team, but he said, no, I'll still stay. Yeah. And, and um, he picked up his money. <laughs> he was quite probably. happy to do it, yeah. He was, um, and I at mean, least... a lot of them say they're going to do that, but really they want to play football, don't they? <laughs> yeah, there was, there was something to be appreciated in the blunt honesty about it. Um, there was... right, very Dutch, very Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Bogard, uh, Juan Veron, Marcel Desailly, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Mario yeah. Melchior, um, Petit, Crespo, yeah. Zenden, Colton Cole, Mario Stanich, and the catalyst for all of this, Jesper Gronke, are all allowed to leave. Paddy, mm. tell the listeners how much Chelsea recouped in total for that um, princely sum of players. It was about three million, wasn't it? 
less than that. Two point two. You see, that's 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 what you can do if you've got money. Yeah. You you, you look at the best selling clubs. You know the most the, the clubs who keep the squads nice and trim. Twenty three, without any moaners or dead wood. The best in the in the history of the Premier League have been. Um, the possible exception of Ferguson at Man United have been Man City and Chelsea because yeah. they can do it. They can say, "Listen, we're not going to we're not going to argue with you." Out there's your contract paid up, <laughs> and um, uh, and and that's what you can do. And that 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 way you make sure you don't have any moaners and deadwood around the around the camp. Yeah. But yeah, they. <laughs> There's just a, there was a few bargains going around there. Yeah. Um, out of all of them, who would have gone on to have a, a best career? I mean, I don't know. It's difficult to say out of out of all those. But um, I think I uh, do you know leaving the um, le- from leaving Chelsea, I think mm. Melchior had a good career in England. He after, did. So he did. He, did he end up at Wigan? I think he did. Uh, at Birmingham it was good money. Yeah. And and yeah, he had a he was a good. I liked Melchior yeah. as, as a as a player. A very very attacking, pacey, aggressive uh, fullback. Yeah, I liked him. Um, yeah, there were there there were there were some, but but they just didn't measure up. You see, Chelsea had already before Mourinho started buying really really good players. I mean, Good Johnson was one. Lampard was the best example of all. Terry home produced, um, but I mean. They really, uh, Makaleli had had come, you know. I mean, yeah. these duff, uh, Joe Cole from West Ham. I mean, they've been buying up talent already. Um, Gallas, uh, uh, um, Czech, you know. Well, Czech came at the same time as as Drogba and and Mourinho. But I mean, just buying. Uh, unlucky for Kudicini, you know. He was yeah. a good goalkeeper, but. Um, yeah, they'd already started buying up uh, even before um, uh, you know the contractual expertise of Peter Kenyon was 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 imported from United the previous season. Even before then, they started buying under Ranieri, really, really good players. Um, and uh, well, they just they just kept doing it. it just uh, they just wouldn't stop. And, I mean, in, before long, they were to, but maybe because. Um, they, they, they weren't sure about William Gallas at left back, and although he looked pretty good to the naked eye, but they thought they could do even better by getting Ashley Cole. So they went and got Ashley Cole. So they just, you know, they just, um, and they kept buying well. You know, they didn't yeah. make too many mistakes. I'd like to talk about Arsenal in a moment, just to close on a summary of Chelsea. Um, which will make the transition easier, really. They lost that game, we said, to Man City, but um, the records for the season, 25 clean sheets, 11 1-0 wins. Yeah. Um, one thing Mourinho brought to England, I was saying earlier about the style of football, that the, the real feature of it was the way that he could make a Chelsea 1-0 feel like it might well might as well be 3 or 4. Yeah. Um, and I think no danger of a late um, equaliser. Never, never, ever. You rarely saw that with Chelsea, certainly while Mourinho was there. And also, I would say, um, I think he liked it being tighter. I think he liked yeah. it because it felt more like a masterminded victory. It was something like, I think he almost, in, 
you know, he reveled in the idea of it being one yeah, nil. He was a, a bit like Ferguson. He was a, a very fond of the word control. He liked yeah. um, to control games, but uh, obviously his philosophy was less attacking than Ferguson. But um, he 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 loved to control football matches and, and, and often used that word to describe them. You know, you'd think maybe Chelsea had been under the cosh a little at somewhere like Everton and he'd say, well, of course we were in control. Yeah. Um, and they and, usually uh, were. <laughs> they usually they, were. And, they, yeah. and they usually were. And it had nothing to do with possession. Uh, their possession stats were probably terrible. Yeah. Um, but, but who cares? No, they um, you, you talked about the comparison with Ferguson, but really it's a comparison with Wenger that makes the most yeah. compelling interest yeah. here because they you put them against the invincible side of a year before and they've got more wins, more points, fewer goals conceded. You mentioned the 72 goals, but Arsenal's invincibles only scored 73. Exactly. Um, it's an incredible <laughs> comparison, really. And I, I've mentioned a few times in coming up to this um, episode that I felt Arsenal were the unluckiest team who, who paid the biggest price. We we talked about Liverpool being at the, the the kind of level where they thought that they'd push on, but Chelsea sort of usurped that position. And now they've gone yeah. in on Arsenal's arguably one of their greatest ever achievements. And the yeah. achievement on which they thought they were going to kick on, they had all these players in their prime, They're, they were ready to make that next step. But um, now Wenger's years of planning and getting back on top, battling with United, they've not exactly gone to waste because he's got this memorable achievement. But Paddy, yeah. we've talked about teams in the past who did that great conversation of lost potential. Yeah. And it's so sad mm. for Arsenal fans and I mean this genuinely as a, uh-huh. as a football fan, it and and as someone who has a lot of respect for Arsene Wenger as a, a football manager and could see what he was trying to do. Yeah. It is a tremendous sadness yeah. that a consequence no, no. of Chelsea's expenditure is Arsenal's d- demise yeah. from this point. I think that's true. I think there was a well, it is true, obviously. But the 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 other factor that's coming that it, that will come into this, and and we'll discuss it in forthcoming episodes the the season that we're talking about 2004-5 is i think the last one at highbury yeah no and no there's one more there's one more after there's one more to yeah. come is that right okay it's getting towards the end anyway and um the cost of that although you know clubs always say no no the the the, the stadium budget is Definitely yeah. separate from the thing. It 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 does. It ha- is bound to sidetrack you um, from from uh, transfer expenditure, and, and you really only need to look at, at Tottenham. But you know they, they they build what is probably the best stadium in the world, and everything seems hunky dory. And in a year, um, the manager's gone, Pochettino. So it 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 really. It is a difficult trick to bring off, um, uh, unless you do it gradually, as as Manchester United did in gradually expanding Old Trafford. Uh, it's a difficult trick, or, or indeed, if, unless you're Man City and, and you move into a uh, virtually free stadium. Um, uh, it's uh, it's a very difficult trick to to bring off, um, and and so that that might have held Arsenal slightly back. In the era after Henri, um, mm. if you see what I mean, the I mean Henri is, is still in his in his Arsenal prime, 
Uh, he's to continue in his prime for many years to come, but uh, he's still in his Arsenal prime, and Jungberg's still got, you know, energy. Perez is arguably even better. Reyes has been added to the team. So they're still there, but a couple of years down the line, um, Arsenal might have found things difficult anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, when I say difficult, I mean they might have slipped to third. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's that's what I mean. I'm not saying they'd have been relegated. Yeah, but the, the the other side of that, yes, there's a stadium thing. I think to be fair, that was more of an open secret, wasn't it? Everyone sort of knew how that was affecting yes. them. But yes. the 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 other side of that, which is somewhat connected, is, is the fact that you mentioned Ashley Cole at the end of the season. That was a very big sign from. Um, it made Arsenal look vulnerable in that yes. their, their best players could be coaxed away, which I think the Ashley Cole was yes. the first of that sequence, which again was a, a terribly sad thing for Arsenal to go through. Um, their season, yeah. Paddy, dominated by games against Manchester United, um, mm. three of the strangest games, really. Um, I want mm. to talk about them because it obviously brings on to United as well, um, and I'm mostly good with a sort of sting in the tail. The yeah. Arsenal had something to play for. The first thing, as well as the trophies, was the, their unbeaten run, which were the, they were protecting into the following season, which they wanted to make the leading one in, in Britain. They um, they come up against United in yeah. late October, Old Trafford. Um, tensions are running high from previous games. Yep. He said the FA Cup semi-final had been nasty the year before, as had yeah. the game at Old Trafford. Um, and the one at Old Trafford this time round, Paddy. Oh my God, what wow. a pressure cooker yeah. that was! Uh, it was. It was. I think uh, Arsenal. Uh, I whether now the the first first thing that, that needs to be said from the Manchester United point of view is that this season they have Rooney. Yeah. Uh, they start the season with Rooney, still just eighteen, but uh, he's about to celebrate his nineteenth birthday. Inevitable. In, in style, but we'll get to that at the appropriate time. But um, he, Rooney had been an instant success, as, as, as he had been at Everton. Um, precocious, you know, a man in a, you know, a man aged in teenage, but a man already physically yeah. and in terms of force and determination. Uh, but Arsenal go to Old go to Old Trafford for that game with um, with well it it, it will the forty nine games unbeaten in the league it will complete the the fifty and they're obviously very very keen to to do it there mm-hmm. but right from the start they develop a sense of grievance in my opinion quite uh, they were right on the first instance when Jungberg's going through. And uh, Ferdinand brings him down. It's, in my opinion, it's a red card. It's and clear I'm, all day, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and certainly in the modern game, it, it would be. I mean, this, this was Mike Riley, who ironically is in charge of the modern game, from the refereeing <laughs> point of view. Um, but it was, it was that kind of refereeing where you do everything you can to keep a, a boy on the field, even though, I mean, it is a red card. And... Um, this left Arsenal with a sense of grievance, which meant that when Wayne Rooney uh, sensed that Saul Campbell was dangling a leg as he went outside him uh, in the penalty area, 
sensing that Saul Campbell was being silly enough to dangle a leg, uh, decided not to jump over it to oblige Campbell, uh, but to trip over it. Uh, Campbell and and Arsenal felt that was a dive, but I thought that was cumulative uh, grievance. I really do. I think if if the Jungberg thing had gone the other way, um, I think they'd have accepted that penalty um, with a bit more good grace. Uh, it was it was it was certainly a dive, um, but with given that Campbell dangled a leg, I think it was a legitimate dive. Um, I, I'm in a minority there, but I don't think Rooney did anything particular. He think he did something artful rather than mm-hmm. cheat. And um, and Campbell certainly shouldn't have stuck a leg out. Um, so um, anyway, that was it. One nil from the Ruud van Nistelrooy from the spot, and Rooney got the second, I think. Yeah, in the last yeah, minute. Rooney, yeah. Rooney in the last minute uh, from a pass by Alan Smith, by the way, who was <laughs> another of uh, the recruits at Man United by now, by then. Um, Alan Smith, who'd been so promising at Leeds before breaking a leg, um, or did he break a leg? With, with United, it was at United, yeah. It was at United, yeah. that's right. But he was one of the the bright young things that one after another were sold by by Leeds United. Um, incidentally, for this season, Leeds have also lost Mark Viduka, who Middlesbrough managed to pick up for an absolute bargain, four and a half million. Yeah, um, with uh, predictable. Uh, predictably beneficial effects for Middlesbrough, by the way. Um, anyway, that was that was it, two 0 and I mean it had been slightly nasty game as you would expect with Man United and Arsenal, and uh, there'd been you know a few kicks at Reyes, Reyes as usual, um, but uh, anyway, nothing prepared us for. Uh, the scenes in the tunnel afterwards. Um, I mean, I have it. In, on, it's, it was described as Pizza Gate. Yeah, it? yeah. Because they tried to hush it up. Uh, the Battle of the Buffet. Uh, anyway, suffice it to say that a lot of food was thrown. Uh, Ferguson was hit with a piece of pizza um, thrown by. I mean, it, it, it's got to be Cesc Fabregas, hasn't it? I yeah. mean, Omerta still rules, but if that wasn't Cesc Fabregas. I'm uh, I'm a Dutchman, and, <laughs> and I'm not going to do my Steve McLaren impersonation at this moment. But the um, uh, yeah, it was. I, I mean, I also have it on good authority that when Wenger and Ferguson squared up, uh, it was to Ferguson's credit that it didn't. It wasn't jackets off. I mean, Wenger was probably <laughs> more angry, and that was to Ferguson's yeah. credit. Yeah. Uh, because um, it, I know that uh, that Wenger was had lost his head completely, and um, anyway, it was uh, it was pretty tasty. Taste it was a tasty buffet. Yeah, um, and uh, a nice sort of server for the uh, main course. Well, one of the main courses that that was certainly one, but there was another one coming in the um, in the subsequent months. Um, just oh, yeah. four months later, they play at Highbury. Oh, um, wonderful good, game! 
Wonderful game, wonderful performance by Manchester United as well. Yeah, and, and on the backdrop of this, I mean, there was a very fair criticism, by the way. I think I think you're right in the way that, although you could see why Arsenal, um, certainly the supporters overreacted about the penalty as if it's one of the great yeah. injustices. It, ob- obviously, obviously. Yeah, it was a marginal. It could have gone either way. But but you could see why they're aggrieved. It's a great record that, that has been lost on, on a contentious decision. I, it was so, uh, yeah, yeah, it was so aggrieved. So I, but, <coughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, football's unfair, you know. But it was there, there was more. The grapes were sourer than they needed to be. I, I accept that. And, and on the sort of build up to it, the, to the return game, the sort of idea was projected more clinically than it had been after the semi final. That United had turned into a team of brutes, and Arsenal yeah. were the um, people's team of playing football. And I think Ferguson got annoyed by that. In the yeah. um, in the build up to that game, and he wanted to right the wrong, and yes. I've got to say, in terms certainly in that sort of lean spell of United years of like this three or four years that they're going into, mm-hmm. this was <coughs> as polished a performance as I agree. Um, it was, but it also you know it ended in the tunnel at Old Trafford and it started. <laughs> the tunnel. It started exactly the 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 the, the aggro kicked off. Um, it, it, it was the fault of Vieira or Keane, depending on who you choose to believe. But uh, um, it started off in that very claustrophobic tunnel at Highbury, uh, where I think uh, Vieira had uh, tried to intimidate Gary Neville. Mm. And Keane, when Keane heard about this, he basically behaved like a big brother. Uh, he was going to sort Vieira out on behalf of Gary Neville. He felt, it, you know, he was... There wasn't really a fair fight between Vieira and, and Gary. And uh, I think Graham Paul was the ref. And he was, he was trying to calm Keane down. And Keane was deep breathing. And, 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 uh, oh, it was, and it, luckily it was captured on the cameras. Mm. And, and, and Keane saying, I'll see you out there, to shouting that. To, and, and, and the ref saying, Roy, Roy, just calm down, just calm down. And uh, you can still see that deep breathing of him, you know, as he <laughs> coming to ten, as he tries, as he's yeah, counting to ten exactly. unsuccessfully. <laughs> but in the middle of in the middle of his count to ten, he's shouting threats at Vieira. So um, it was great, great, uh, great drama. And in fact, uh, the game, I mean, was even better. I mean, uh, I think it was. Uh, I think Vieira scored. Put Arsenal ahead, and um, then United equalised. Bergkamp put Arsenal two-one up, <coughs> and then, uh, to, as if to indicate his growing influence on Manchester United, Cristiano Ronaldo completed a beautiful move to make it two-all. Ronaldo scored the easiest goal he's ever scored in his life. Yeah, a tap-in from one centimeter to make it three-two, and then. I mean, of all the people to score a majestic goal, John O'Shea pops up on the edge of the box. Uh, great ball from Scholes. And O'Shea picks it up and he sort of, he sees the goal, he's slightly off his line. He thinks, why not? And he just chips it over him. Got a lovely curling chip into the far corner. And he, he turns around O'Shea as if to say, did I really do that? <laughs> and of course, he was a very popular player at Manchester United, very respected player, O'Shea. I'm, uh, you know, I'm sure you would never have heard a word against him. And uh, of course, 
the, the player for, to complete a 4-2 victory that mattered so much with such a, if you like, Arsenal-esque flourish. In other words, that was a goal that Dennis Bergkamp would have treasured. Mm. And, it, and that was John O'Shea just rounding it off for Manchester United. Terrific, uh, terrific performance by United. And, uh, you know, talk about making a point, you know, they had the, they had the prettiest wife uh, in that game, definitely. They, and you could argue as well, Paddy, that they did in the FA Cup final as well, which was, I mean, maybe it's my red tinted glasses, but I, I felt that was one of the most one-sided cup finals I've ever seen. Yes. Without a shadow of doubt. <coughs> uh, how, um, how United didn't win that game, I, I will never know. But um, Arsenal win it on penalties, so they've come away with some crumb of comfort in the um, in a in difficult season to them. And we talked about, if I'm right, if I, my memory serves me correctly, not only Ashley Cole going, this is Patrick Vieira's sign-off. He scores the winning penalty and he signs for Juventus that summer, so that's two of their major players yeah. um, gone that summer, which is um, obviously it's the start of a bad trend for Arsenal. He was, was a major player, um, but I think... Uh, those long legs were uh, were kind of going. I think this this all at yeah. the right time. Um, I think Fabregas was groomed for the succession and yeah. eager to play. Um, and it, it, it was uh, yeah, but it, 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 it kind of but he went out with a bang, didn't he? That's the that's the main thing. I mean, okay, he didn't win. Uh, well, they won the cup final, but they, he didn't win the league. But he went out. He went out playing, playing well, yeah. and and he was uh, Juventus was the right place for him because you just get that extra yard in in Italy. A disappointing NT United season, but it was more concerning than that because I think their main story. You talked about Wayne Rooney these eventful games against Arsenal, but the main story was their takeover by the Glazer family. And uh, yeah. you know, I we, <laughs> I've been the one fielding this on social media while you've been yeah. able to deflect it. But when we've been recording yeah. our uh, podcast series on United, uh, mm-hmm. we were always asked, you should do something on the Glazer family, you should do something on them. And it never came up. Yeah. It never you're uh-huh. not gonna dedicate a full season to a full episode to to one event such as this. No. But it's the right time to talk about it now. Um for yeah. me, Paddy, I mean, there's a lot of controversial takeovers. We've talked, we're talking about something yeah. in, in this very podcast. This, to me, it never sit right. Um, I could never understand how it was allowed. And, and don't get me wrong, the procedures. I understand business. I understand that you know they everything that they did was above board, and they were allowed to mm-hmm. do it. But I just can't understand how the authorities, the English football authorities, allowed an institution. Completely agree. I completely agree. I think it, uh, I think the international authorities. I mean, I know it's not their you can't lay that at, at UEFA and FIFA's door, but I, I think they should have a similar rule uh, that, uh, you know, this awful phrase, leverage takeovers. And I'd never heard. Leverage for me was, you know, opening a crate with a jemmy or something. You know, I mean, leverage it was called. And now this leverage takeover, which means l- loading a business with debt in order to speculate on making money on it. Um, it was... It, it, it should not be allowed mm. under the law of the land. And uh, it's, you know, fairly, um, uh, it's fairly obvious why people like Glazer came to do business in England. It's very sad for Manchester United, but it's, you know, these people come to do business in England because they're allowed to do things in England that they're not allowed to do under American law. So it, it, was, it, was, it was a terrible, terrible episode. 
Um, the elephant in the room, let's uh, take a look at it straight away. Uh, Alex Ferguson does bear some culpability in the Glazer takeover. He was, I mean, let, let, let make it no doubt he was very much in favor of it, but we'll, in a moment, we'll go into the reasons for that. The reason he was, I mean, I remember him screaming at the press in, you know, one of those uh, rants, a bit like Veron. Yeah. These are all fucking idiots and all this kind of stuff uh, over Veron. Well, he, he had a bit of a rant about, about when people said, you know, is this Glazer thing a good thing for Manchester United? And he said, he said the press, you know, as if they were idiots, he says, he says, look, if you buy a house, you get a mortgage, you borrow money. If you start a business, you borrow money. It's perfectly normal. Mm. It's a good thing. And they're great owners. So at least he was consistent. Now, where I'd say the element of culpability, and I, and I don't want anybody to say Ferguson was entirely responsible for the arrival of the Glazers, but the fact is that his dispute with Magnier and McManus, the Coolmore Mafia, as they were uh, jocularly called, the Irish bloodstock owners who, with whom Ferguson fell out over Rock of Gibraltar, who subsequently sold their shares, which they might have sold anyway, but they sold them to the Glazers in, in the main. And that's how the Glazers gained the majority share of Manchester United. Uh, had it not been for the Rock of Gibraltar episode, I think the Glazers, I, I beg your pardon, the Irish, would have sold with more care. Mm. I think they wanted to make a profit, no question about that, but... Um, they would have sold with more care and not against the advice of uh, David Gill. Um, and, and, and put it this way, it was, a, it was a pretty odd thing for Ferguson to be such a, a strong backer of uh, that kind of uh, naked capitalism, if you like, um, considering he's uh, you know, supposed to be a, uh, you know, a socialist with a small, you know, a, a, a Labour Party supporter of long standing. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think, you know, of, uh, it, it, it's unfair to, to mention it without listing the vastly, overwhelmingly uh, um, positive things that Ferguson's done for Manchester United. It would be a million positive things to one arguably negative. But mm. you can't deny it if you know anything about Manchester United. Well, absolutely, and it caused massive tension in the supporter base, um, and which yeah. still lingers to this day, really. Um, obviously, there's um, a lot of disagreement about the owners, and I'm firmly against them. I, th I think it's ter a terrible thing for United and a terrible thing and for, for English football. For, for um, football, I think it's, a, it, it's an awful business model, for really, for any business, um, but uh, um, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, I suppose in one sense it's, it's not been too bad for English football in the sense that although United have hardly collapsed as an institution, uh, anything but, but um, it, it, under the burden of debt, but, uh, uh, but it has made it slightly easier for other clubs to, yeah. to, to, gain, a, to gain a share of trophies. So, I mean, it... it it, it is very. It, it's bad. It's it, it, it's just bad. It, it just leaves a nasty taste in the mouth. It did at the time, 
of the takeover, and it does now. Yeah. Um, a team who had a more successful change, Liverpool. You mentioned Rafael Benitez coming in. Yes. I, I always found the contrast between Benitez and Mourinho um, compelling because uh, Chelsea... Mourinho comes in and he's a manager who's capable of winning. And I always mm. felt that Benitez, and I don't want to give him too much of a disservice, but he yeah. was more of a, he excelled at the art of not losing a game, yeah. which made yeah. him the perfect cup manager for them, which he obviously was this season because, you know, you mentioned Chelsea's cup run and they're, they're yeah. scoring lots of goals in their wins over Barcelona and Bayern Munich, but yeah. the two games against Liverpool are squeezed within a vice of, um, you know, a millimetre decides that game. Yeah. And that's some... the, the first game, as I recall, I bet I'm, I'm open to correction on this, goalless and, um, and terrible, but uh, the second just crackled because of the atmosphere. Yeah, I, you know, I once saw a World Cup semi-final in two thousand and six between um, Italy and Germany in in Dortmund, and I think I, I, I found my notes for the game, and there were only about three notes, you know, because uh, 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 apart from bookings and, and stuff like that, because it was a game of very few chances. Um, but that doesn't mean it. It wasn't one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And I think the Liverpool, uh, the game up at Anfield was, was a bit like that. But it, it did say, you're quite right, it did say something um, about a slight um, blip in the open, free-flowing nature of, of English football. But it was a blip. It was a blip. They, some of these managers, had to change their ways um, to conform with the entertainment uh, imperative of the Premier League. And I think that's still true. Yeah, but I mean, the point of Liverpool getting Benitez in was to win the big trophies, and they don't come bigger yeah. than the Champions League, which they won in. You know, Correct. there's always the argument about which final was better, this or 99. I'm obviously biased on coming down 99, but you can respect the incredible achievement and event of what that final in 2005 yeah. was. There was much. Uh, the Istanbul final 2005, obviously I was there because uh, it was in the job. And I mean, there was much, much more football played, trust me, there than there was in Barcelona in 1999. Mm. A lot more. Um, I mean, the first 90 minutes of that were, that Barcelona game was, were poor. Yeah. They were mundane. Um, but. The football played in the first 45 minutes in Istanbul. Almost all of it, 90% of it, played by Milan, was magnificent. Mm. It was truly magnificent. There were 3-0 up. And honestly, I can remember, I can remember of a few journalists gathering at halftime and there was only one thing on our minds. What was the record score in a in a Champions League final, you know, we were all trying to, you know, if it, it, so that we, if it ended up six or seven nil, that we would be able to get our facts right and say it's the biggest ever score in a, um, you know, say if it was eight, you know, it would be the biggest ever score by a team in a Champions League final, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That was the ballpark. We were thinking six. I can remember seeing a big six in the middle of our head, six nil. And, um, Anyway, as soon as the second half started, uh, a substitution kind of changed everything or, or began to change things. Um, this, this was uh, Didi Haman, who yeah. probably should have started. 
to protect the defence from uh, the likes of... Uh, was Kaká playing? He was, yeah. Yeah, and he was brilliant, you know, and he was doing these little glides uh, between the lines. So and, and Liverpool had nobody playing between the lines and uh, in that holding position. So uh, Benitez, uh, to his credit, realised he should have picked a man from the start, did so, uh, took out um, Steve Finnan, who actually was was actually the best, according to the journalists, was the best right-back in England that season. He was in the team, the uh, Football Writers Association team of the season, Steve Finnan. So, you know, he's taken away a good player um, to get his team more balanced for the uh, for the task. And uh, sure enough, it worked. And then uh, Steven Gerrard, of course, is remembered as the hero, and rightly, because he got the first goal in 3-1. And even Milan are beginning to worry. They're still playing the better football. But then it gets 3-2. Uh, uh, what was, was the penalty the next one? I <clears throat> can't remember the order, but... Um, then Vladi Smyser, uh, you know, uh, gets, a, gets the long-range goal and, uh, and that's it. It goes to penalties. And uh, Jersey Dudek, <laughs> uh, who actually was a good keeper for Liverpool, yeah. um, uh, was, a, was a very good keeper. I think the previous season he'd been in the team of the year. Um, anyway, but he, yeah, it was, it was a very good keeper. But he... He had this. It was Carragher went to him for the before the penalty shootout, and obviously Milan were very nervous because Liverpool they they've got so much to lose. They had lost from a position of, or they were in danger of losing from a position of such strength that we were checking on the records. You know, I mean, yeah. it was it was theirs. It, it, in fact, you couldn't even see how they could lose it. And now they were in a position where it was a lottery. And Carragher, knowing that every th- advantage had to be taken, told Jesse Dudek, do a, you know, a Grobelar. Yeah. Because you remember Grobelar at, uh, uh, at uh, Black Bottom uh, Jelly Legs yeah. uh, routine in, uh, to, to very good effect in Rome in 1984, where Liverpool where beaten Rome on pens. And Dudek Dudek says, what do you mean, a a grobbler? He says, well, you you just, you know, um, do this. And and he told him, explained what it was. He says, fine, okay. And he does it, and it works. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they got the likes of Shevchenko thinking, what the hell is this, you know, Kaká? And and sure enough, Liverpool win the the penalty shootout, champions of Europe. It's it's amazing. And uh, and that that night, actually... uh, Gerard Ullier was there. Uh, Gerard Ullier, who'd, who'd really built that team, but wasn't that great? They weren't great individuals. I mean, we're, we're talking about Kaká, Shevchenko. They're up against uh, Jimmy Traore. Yeah. Um, yeah, Milan Barras was not bad, but Luis Garcia wasn't a great player. He was, he was all right. Vladi Smyser, lovely technician, but was he a great European force? I don't know. I mean... So it was, it was, uh, it was an incredible victory, um, and 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 Ullier got <laughs> got a text from. I'm sure he won't mind me telling you. A lad called Phil McNulty, who's the BBC online football correspondent, very good journalist, 
and he sent uh, Uli a, a text saying, uh, saying, uh, I, I, I see your uh, all those crap players you've signed. I've just won the Champions League. So, uh, I mean, because Uli had got a lot of stick for, you know, yeah. signing Hell Hadjouf and Salif Diaw and some of those. But, uh, oh, amazing, amazing night. And uh, for me, yes, probably uh, slightly, now it's difficult because the finish uh, at, at, of 1999 was, was the equal best finish I've ever seen to a football match. Uh, equal with uh, 1989 uh, at Anfield, yeah, uh, where Michael Thomas scored in the 94th minute. So, um, but uh, the Sheringham Solskjaer was uh, was just the best, equal best finish I've ever seen to a football match, the most dramatic. Um, so it, it, it's quite difficult. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to pick between those two, between the Istanbul and Barcelona. I just, I just, you know, I just count myself as being a privileged, lucky little boy uh, to, to have been paid to attend those events. Whilst um, Paddy picks the splinters out of yeah. his bone from sitting on the fence. Um, let's yeah. talk about the next. Uh, we some popular manager changes there. Obviously, we're bringing trophies, but one deeply unpopular manager change happened early in the season. Yeah. Um, Bobby Robson is sacked by Freddie Shepard at Newcastle. Newcastle start the season. I mean, four games they've drawn two, yeah. they've lost two. It's not a terrible start. And certainly, no. I mean, everyone knows that's going to be Bobby Robson's last job. He's 74. He's he's already done a great job there. This, I mean, there are a couple of managerial sackings that even as a, as a neutral to, to the um to the to the club. I've left a bit of taste in my mouth and this was the first mm. time I'd ever really felt like that um, I, honestly it was disgraceful Paddy I don't know yeah, how was, you saw it it was disgraceful it was no I agree with you I, and, and I think Sunes had been lined up <coughs> but um, uh, by the by, by the, uh, Freddie Shepard and and, uh, and and co I mean it was the, the only thing you could possibly say uh, in Newcastle's defence, is that Bobby Robson was always going to have to be carried out kicking and screaming yeah. from from any job. And even though, yes, as you say, he was 74 by now and you knew it was his last, but um, it, it maybe, I don't know, maybe Shepard asked him if he would go during the summer. I don't know. Uh, we'll never know that. But um, it was... Uh, it was obviously it was very it was very sad it was you know Robson by then was a national treasure which he is even more now mm. after his the, the bravery and public spiritedness of his final years and um I, yes it it was it was horrible but you know he i'll tell you a little story which is which is actually true about about why Bobby Robson was never going to go, um, you know, on a handshake. Because at one stage, you know, Jose Mourinho could have been Newcastle manager. You know that, don't you? Right, come on. Because what happened was, obviously, Jose and Bobby were great friends. Yeah. And Bobby had employed Jose and, you know, took him over at, uh, inherited him initially at, I think, Sporting Lisbon and, 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 and worked with him all the way through. 
And at one stage, Bobby, uh, before Mourinho became, you know, top, 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 um, Bobby wanted him to go to Newcastle to be his number two. And I, I, I asked Bobby about this and said, you mean number two to take over? And he went, well, maybe. So even then, it wasn't going to be, listen, Jose, I promise you, I'll give it two more years and then you'll take over. <laughs> it wasn't like that. Because if he had said that, Mourinho would have come. Yeah. And... Uh, but he knew Bobby, see, too bright, knowing that Bobby would never... Bobby was addicted to football management. Yeah. And, yeah, he probably could have turned that around, but eventually his powers would have, would have waned as, as, um, as they all do. It, it'll happen to Roy Hodgson one day, but I wonder if he'll reach 74. Got another year to go uh, and, and emulate Bobby. But... Uh, That'd be interesting. He may um, do just but, by de facto if the football season doesn't, you know. Be, well, that's true. He could he, he could be a manager at seventy five, but without kick, without uh, without picking a team. Let's hope. <laughs> let's hope not. Yeah. But um, yeah, Bobby Robson, obviously one of the greats of the game. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I, I just repeat what I said earlier. It was disgraceful. They 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 sack him and they bring in Graham Souness, who, who does you know he stabilizes them. He, yeah, he makes his own impact on St James's Park. Like, there's loads of stories in this season, Paddy. But we, we are oh. pushed for time, and I, I want to get a couple more in. And this okay. Can I just very briefly before you do? Can you hold that because I, we cannot not mention Keegan is to be no longer manager in Newcastle when this season is out. That's, uh, that's, that's to set the scene. But there is a game. Keegan, is, sorry, is of Manchester City, not Newcastle yeah. United. He's already manager of Manchester City and doing fine. But he goes, for, for one last time, he goes to Newcastle in October. And mm. It's on the same day as the Man U Arsenal game. So no wonder it didn't get too many headlines. It didn't get the headlines it deserved. But Keegan at Newcastle, what's the score? It's 4-3. <laughs> City lost. I mean, Keegan must have the world record for losing games 4-3. Um, but this time he lost to, to uh, Newcastle. A, a bright young player called Sean Wright Phillips scored two for City. Um, but Bellamy got the winner uh, as Keegan uh, made a... a well, I've mixed feelings on his return to St James. So that that to me that was a story, but of course it got buried in the the Battle of the Buffet. I would anyway, say. So what were the what were the two you were going to mention? Uh, let's mention that very quickly on Man City. I'll add a comment on that just because I think it's fair to say that under Keegan, this is the most ambitious that City have looked in the Premier League so far. Um, yeah. They lost four three in that game, but they've got the likes of Nicholas and Elka, Wright Phillips, like you mentioned. David James, Robbie Fowler, Sylvain Distan. This is a team yeah. who are actually, for the first time in the Premier League, look like they're pushing forward rather than treading water. Um, Absolutely. It's a bit of swagger, a bit of ambition. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but the, the two stories then, let me quickly run through the, um, the stories that I, I'm not going to yeah. be... Well, in fact, no, we'll start with one that we have to talk about as well. The notable achievement of Everton, who, under David Moyes, have gone from... You know, he doesn't... A fine job when he come in, but then yeah. in his second season they not you know they'd not been struggling against relegation, but they finished in seventeenth. 
And then this season, it goes completely the other way, and they finish fourth. It's yeah. an incredible story with um, yeah, Tim, Tim Cahill being the um, the well, highlight. The great, the great signing. Uh, it was about a couple of million from Millwall. You know, he played in the cup final against Man United there. Um, and, you know, obviously, and Moyes spotted that he was capable of playing at a higher level. And, and my word, he did. I think he was the leading goal scorer from a sort of attacking midfield, um, off the front role, off uh, Marcus Bent. Uh, and, and, and Moyes really put together a well-balanced team. You know, he had Hibbert, who'd come through the ranks. They'd lost, they'd lost Rooney and strengthened. It was amazing. Uh, Hibbert had come through the ranks, a very consistent right back. Uh, Nigel Martin, one of the best, most underrated and best goalkeepers of that era, in my opinion. Uh, Alessandro Pistoni from Newcastle at left back, not bad, going good going forward. Stubbs and Weir uh, at uh, centre back. A couple of dogs of war, Gravison, although he's, he could play, and Carsley uh, mm-hmm. in the in the deep midfield. Osman, Kilban, wide. Uh, and then Cahill behind Marcus Bent. Uh, 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 substitute, as often as not, Big Duncan Ferguson. So it wasn't a bad uh, little team. Yeah, and they... And they, finished, and they finished fourth, as you say. I mean, it, it was a, a really good... And it, it, it underlined their ambition by signing Ke- um, James Beattie, Kevin Beattie. I either be near the end by then. No, James Beattie. <laughs> near the uh, end. Towards, towards the end of the season uh, from uh, Southampton who got uh, got relegated. Yeah, a fantastic achievement from Everton. And there was a yeah. big conversation then because they finished in fourth and yeah. Liverpool won the Champions League. Yeah. Would they have to not, not with, uh, qualify for the Champions League? Um, yeah. Some some um, compromise was given, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Liverpool were given qualification as champions and yeah. Everton, as they would have done anyway, were in the qualifying yeah. round, um, which, yeah. you know, they, yeah. they didn't well, that, make that, 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 It didn't work out well, did it? But mm. <laughs> the qualifying round, but that's for another another day. Yeah. Um, we did mention Southampton. May I squeeze in a quick line about them? Yes, um, let's do that. Um, obviously, Southampton, um, we talk about managerial changes. There'd been nine in nine clubs changed their manager yeah. this season. Um, Ari Redknapp had been flitting around. He went from Pom- Pompey to Southampton to try and keep them up, and it didn't go well, Paddy. No, no. Well, it very troubled season for Southampton, who'd been Premier League ever presence up to that point. But uh, Paul Sturrock had taken over from Plymouth, had taken over from Gordon Strachan. We referred to that in the last episode uh, when Strachan went to Scotland. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, Sturrock and the squad just did not get on. The methods that had brought him such success at Plymouth weren't didn't sort of go so well. There was talk of Sir Clive Woodward or um, coming in. Uh, that, that would have been a, a real left-field appointment. And he did, in fact, uh, work for Southampton. I think he was friendly with Rupert Lowe, the chairman at the time. Uh, he quit the RFU to, to, to work for, um, for Southampton. But Steve Wigley took over as manager before Harry Redknapp came in. But they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're relegation written all over them. Um, and, uh, and sure enough, they went down a long way of Crystal Palace, I think. Palace, who had Andy Johnson scoring 21 goals and Wayne Rowledge with 10 league assists. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and Norwich also went down. So. Mm. 
So the um, uh, the, the last story of that though, Paddy, is um, the yeah. survivors West Brom, who were eight points adrift at Christmas, bringing Brilliant. Brian Robson, who subsequently brings in Kevin Campbell and Kieran Richardson, and they have their great escape. Which mm-hmm. um, one of the unique features of this Premier League season is that on the final day, nobody was guaranteed relegation um, going into the final game. Um, it's the first time that that had ever happened in the Premier League. Um, yeah. So West Brom. Um, ironically against Portsmouth um, Southampton's great rivals um, Portsmouth have got nothing to play for at this point I don't think you know people would put two and two together and say that Portsmouth dropped their um, performance levels and maybe they did but they were on summer holiday like any team would be at that time and and West Brom uh, with a a very um, famous win on the last day of the season Um, yeah who else survived at the end of that season? Who was just above West Brom? Well, you've got the likes of Fulham and Birmingham are still treading yeah. water. Um, Bolton, who would be down there the previous season, Paddy, they yeah. finish sixth and qualify for Europe. And well, I, was, I was hoping you were going to mention Bolton under Sam because, I mean, this it, it's like a, a world d- a directory of, uh, of of useful useful players. I mean, led by... <laughs> Your friend and mine, JJ Okocha, uh, who uh, you know his magic was displayed in the early season game against when they beat Charlton four-one, which kind of said, "Hey, but no Bolton are sexy now," you know. Yeah. Okay, they played a, they played a, they did play the long ball game, but there there's a lot of great players. I mean, who could who could feed off those long balls? Gary Speed by now was at was at Bolton. Mm-hmm. El Hajjouf. Uh, Hidetoshi Nakata, you know, uh, Ricardo Vazte, Ivan Campo, Champions League winner. Uh, Kevin Davis, of course, was the sort of figurehead of the team. But Okocha, you know, I mean, oh, and late in the season, Fernando Hierro, you know, I mean, all these guys who, you know, are more used to wearing Real Madrid strips than than the white of Bolton. But Oh, it was exciting times at uh, at the Reebok Stadium. It was indeed. They um and you know a sign of their character. Really, they lose five in December in a row. Five games in a row in December. Then in January and February they win five in a row. Um, they draw at Chelsea. They defeat yeah. Arsenal, but they're equally capable of losing at home to Villa and Portsmouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, big clubs hated playing them. I mean, particularly Arsenal. Particularly yeah. Arsenal hated playing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was a, ter- a terrific achievement by uh, by Allardyce and and Bolton Wanderers. Was big. Although yeah, you wonder looking at that international directory of of I wouldn't say superstars, but of of stars. Um, you wonder if the the financial problems that laid them low over the last couple of years didn't. Somehow originate in that era. Yeah, certainly. Um, but at this time, it was a as close to a golden era as we were going to get at the definitely. at the Reebok. They were <coughs> um, cosmopolitan like Chelsea in the in the nineties, um, but sadly with no Chelsea future to come for them. Um, yeah. Big Sam Allardyce, but the league in the end was dominated by one character, Jose Mourinho, uh, a formidable manager to challenge Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger and prove that he wasn't just a one season wonder in the following campaign.